We'll have just a quick word of prayer, have an opportunity today for you to kind of get a deep breath and um, get some perspective on your life before we get started today. Um, a lot of comments and a lot of Facebook messages, a lot of stuff after my last sermon. I want to kind of address some of that today. Um, I know that uh, that shook some things up, which I think is always a little good. Um, but I want to talk a, l- a little bit about my last sermon and kind of get you caught up, because I know last week IDT was here and you had a great week, um, but I want to kind of connect the week before to this week and, and keep us moving. So let's, uh, if you can, just take a deep breath this morning and uh, let's pray together and then we'll jump right in. God, we thank you today for the way you love us. We thank you for the opportunity to just take another breath. We know that you are in charge of that. And especially this time of year, things get busy and we lose perspective on who we are and what's most important. We start putting all of our trust and all of our hope and all of our energy into things. And in the end, we're disappointed. So God, would you allow us to the right perspective on our stuff? Would you give us a deep breath today and a, a move towards the peace that comes from knowing you? And God, as we go through this prayer series, would you teach us something new? Would you move us down the field when it comes to our faith, when it comes to how that we're, we're supposed to have a relationship with you? Thank you for what you've given me this week. Would you make it clear today? Would you keep me out of the way so that we can all hear a word from you in your son's name? Amen. Well, if you've been around lately, you know that we are in um, a series about prayer that's going to take us through the end of the year. Um, and uh, it's, it's been a really interesting journey for me preparing this series. Um, I, I've learned a lot about it, but I've also, it's been a, the, I, I can't think of any other word but the word catharsis. Um, the word catharsis, just that release, that, that sort of a pent-up energy in me that's coming out um, through this series. Because I, as I grew up, I, I learned, a, an under, I got an understanding of prayer that I believe the older I get, the more I realize was wrong. Um, and and I, it wasn't my parents' fault, and it really wasn't my Sunday school teacher's fault. It was just human nature that I, I believe that somehow that what I was doing when I prayed to God was just having a conversation with God and then, and then trying to get Him to sort of, whatever He had planned for the day, my, my feeling was that prayer was me trying to go, hey God, what if, what if you changed your plans a little bit for the day and you just leaned my way just a little bit? So God, whatever you had planned before, I'm going to stop and I'm going to close my eyes and, and you've had these kinds of prayers and I'm sure if you're visiting with us today or you're not sure about the whole God thing, maybe, maybe you've never really prayed or you've just done those kind of emergency prayers, but most of us at some time in our life have like closed our eyes and really, really tried hard to connect with God. And when we do, even if we feel connected to God, there's this sense of like, am I really doing anything? Is there anything really changing? And you know me, I, if, if you're around here a lot, you know me, I'm, I'm ready to tackle some of these issues. Some of the things that are sort of taboo in the church um, and even in our faith, sometimes we don't talk about some of the things that we feel when we pray. I want to hit them head on. I did that a couple weeks ago and, and every time you do that, 
Um, it stirs up emotions in people. Every time, every time we tackle some big questions, it, it, some, people who, some people who have answered those questions in their mind start wrestling with them again, and it causes lots of emails and Facebook messages, and that used to be something I didn't like. But now I'm starting to really realize that when I stir things up around here, it, it means we're moving forward. And one of the things I stirred up a couple weeks ago, and I got a lot of comments about this, is that I said prayer is more than just talking to God. You know, we used to, we, that's the way people told me about prayer. Hey, just, just talk to God like you would talk to your friend. And, and what we said last week is that's, that's really not what the Bible says about prayer. That that's, it's not just like talking to your friend, that there is something different. And we also said last week that the most important thing that happens in prayer is not that God is moved by your prayer. Not that somehow when you pray, God looks down and says, you know what, I had this big plan for their life, but look at them. I mean, look at the puppy dog eyes. They're begging me. Look at them, they're, 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 they're praying so hard. They prayed every day for all this time. You know what, I was going to do this, but because they're, because they're so fervent, I'm going to change my mind. It, you don't want a God like that. You don't want a God that changes His will based on your will. What you want is somebody that's in charge. Now, it's very clear throughout the Bible, and maybe I, I, didn't, I didn't talk enough about this a couple weeks ago, it's very clear that God does have gifts in mind for you, that He does intend for you to pray when things hurt. And He does have, in fact, He says at some points you don't ask because you don't pray. Apparently there are some things that God has in store for you that are a part of His will, that don't affect negatively His will, that He's just kind of waiting for you to ask. I do this with my kids. You know, I, my kids ask me for things on, on a regular basis, and there are some things that just like that's not going to happen. My son wants a shotgun, and he's six years old. Now, if he sits down and he says to me every single day, Dad, I, need, I want a shotgun. Dad, can I please have a shotgun? And if he gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he has a really good quiet time with me, and he says to me every single morning, Dad, you know my life. You know how I love to hunt. I want a shotgun. Do you think that there's going to be a moment as, as his dad of a six-year-old who, by the way, shot himself with a rubber band the other day and hurt himself pretty bad? <laughs> Do you think a dad that loves him like that is going to sit down and say, well, you know what, buddy? I, you just want it so bad. And those puppy dog eyes, I just can't say no. And by the way, you have been praying for this. You've been asking for this every day for a year. So you know what? I know it's dangerous, but you're so cute. Here's your shotgun. <laughs> and I'm not even a great dad. Can you imagine God knowing what He knows about you? Knowing everything that He has planned for you? Being somehow having His mind changed because you get up and pray a little bit early in the morning? So I know this goes against a lot of the things that you hear in church and a lot of the things preachers say. In fact, you know what? I'm going to challenge some things over the next month here during the Christmas season. That Here's what I'm hoping it does. I've been wanting to, to, to preach this prayer series for about six months, and I've been holding it off till Christmas. Because I believe at Christmas, two things happen. One, you have the best opportunity than you, that you have throughout the year to, to hear God, to hear from God, and to understand the, the joy and the, 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 the peace that comes with knowing God. But here's the other thing about it. You also have the best opportunity to ignore it because of all the stuff. So what I want to do is I want this Christmas to be different for you. I want this Christmas season, and I don't mean just the 25th, I mean this whole season, all of December, all the way through January, I want you to start thinking differently about God. And I want to be the catalyst for that on Sunday morning. 
He, so what we learned a couple weeks ago is that Jesus was standing one time with his disciples, and, and, and these are guys that were not great men, but they were learning, and they were learning to pray, and they had prayed a lot in their life. In fact, part of their life was prayer. It was like since they were a little kid, they had learned to pray. Maybe prayers like we pray, now I lay me down to sleep kinds of prayers that didn't mean much, and it had, it had gotten them the wrong impression about who God was. That it's somehow, if they just paid their penance, if they just said their thing, if they just did it in the right order, that God would, they could manipulate God in some way. But one day, they realized they, they just weren't doing it right. And they said this, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if you haven't heard this sermon, I'd love for you to go back and listen to it online. It is on our website. It was from two weeks ago because it kind of sets up this whole series. But basically what we said at that point was we need to learn to pray. Now, it wasn't just this one disciple that needed to learn how to pray. He said, teach us. It's like they'd been going around the corner and they'd been watching Jesus pray. And when they watched him, they noticed something different. And it was like they were saying to Jesus, huh? we're not doing it right. <laughs> like We don't do it like you do. So would you teach us the way you pray? And, and, and most of us have never thought about getting better at praying. In fact, most of us think that getting better at praying means praying more, means praying longer. But the truth is, that's not the way Jesus talks about prayer. And I kind of outlined a way that we should be doing it every day, and I hope you're working on that. Um, and that's online. I don't want to rehash all that today. But what I want to do is set us up for the question today. And that is, when it comes to prayer, if the point of prayer is not to get God to bend in my general direction, then what is the point of prayer? If the point of prayer is not to change my outcomes, because that's, let's just be real honest, that's what I'm trying to do right now, okay? And if you've been in church for a long time, some of this is going to shake you a little bit. You're going to go, I don't like what you just said. But I want you to just be real honest, and you don't have to nod your head. You can give me an ugly frown if you want, but I just want you to be honest between you and God. Haven't you at, your t at times in your life felt like, what am I doing when I pray? Does it really matter? Is it really doing anything when I pray? Especially if the preacher's right, what he said a couple weeks ago, if the point of prayer is not to change my outcome, then why am I praying anyway? I want to hit that hard today. Because the truth is, many of us are going to end up in what, I, what I've started calling a life riptide. You know what a riptide is? If you're in the ocean, if you've been to the ocean lately, you're lucky. I'd like to be at the ocean right now. But if you've been at the ocean lately, you know about riptides. In fact, there are signs about it, and it's a scary thing. A riptide is a current that some people call them undertoes or undercurrents. This is current that goes under the water that you can't see, and it, it, it kind of happens because of a shelf in the ocean. And it's like this long-running tide, and if you get caught in it, the harder you struggle and the worse you get, the, the, the more you start to drown, and it just takes you. You're not going to get out of a riptide by trying to paddle this way. So what they say, if you ever get caught in a riptide, by the way, this is your helpful hint for the day, is that rather than trying to swim out of it this way, you swim sideways, parallel to the beach. Say, I hope I just saved your life. You swim sideways because the riptide goes out like this, and if you swim sideways, you'll get out of the riptide and it'll save your life. See? So there you go. You can send me an email when that happens and you can thank me. Um, but the, the reason I brought up riptides today is because I believe that in our lives, I, in your life and in my life, I know I have been in what I feel like is a riptide, where I'm just being, I'm, I'm, I'm like going towards an inevitable thing, a thing that I would have never thought would have happened in my life, and I can see it coming kind of, and I, I'm kind of swimming, and I'm trying to get away from it, and I'm praying, God, get me away from this thing, but it just kind of keeps coming, and it keeps coming. 
I remember the first time it happened to me was when I was in high school. I was a junior in high school, and my grandfather was the first person I had known who had got deathly sick. My grandfather, my mom's dad, we called him Papa, um, was diagnosed with cancer. He'd been a smoker all his life, and he'd had, he had some throat cancer. And I didn't really know much about death. I mean, I was just a good little Christian boy and didn't have, really have anybody die around me that I loved like I did my grandfather. And when I heard the word cancer, I knew what it meant, especially at that point in, in history. Cancer was pretty much a death sentence. And I knew his specific kind of cancer was awful. And so the moment I heard it, of course, I was a good Christian boy. I started praying. And my prayers were the same thing every day as a junior in high school. I remember it. It was, God, take this away from my grandpa. But if, I have, if I'm going to be honest, I'm just going to be real honest for a minute. During those prayer times, I had this thought, is this really doing anything? Is this really going to change anything? Because people get cancer all the time and they die. Oh, but sometimes they, they don't, and some, but sometimes they don't even have people praying for them and they live. And what is this? And I remember feeling as a junior in high school, I'm inevitably, I'm going through something in my life that is going to end in a bad way for me. And unless I beg God and he sometime, somehow hears me and decides to change his mind, I'm going to end up having to be at my grandfather's funeral. And I felt like I was in a riptide, closer and closer and closer to the death of my grandfather. And as it went through it, I'll never forget the funeral and that feeling of, I can't believe it's actually happening and it's really here. Many of you have had that feeling before. And it was hard on my faith. In fact, I had people in my life, not my family, but I had people in my life tell me, John, you just need more faith. If you just pray a little harder, if you just, if you, if you just believe, and I don't, I don't even know what that means to this day. I, I need to believe more. How do you believe more? How do you, what do you close your eyes and just start clenching your teeth and you just, what does believe more mean? What does more faith mean? How much faith does it take to save a man from cancer? And I was a junior in high school. These were all the questions I asked because people want to give you an answer. They want to give you a reason why these things are happening. But the truth is, it broke my faith. I started to believe that somehow I, I was never going to be able to figure out God. I had a wrong understanding of who I was and who God was. It happened to me again. I got into another riptide when my, when my wife left me. And I, I could see it coming. I, there were moments of hope that my marriage would be saved, but it just got worse and worse and worse until I finally got the divorce papers. And I had people in my life tell me, what you need to do, John, is you need to go away for three weeks. You need to go away for three weeks and just pray and fast. And, and if you pray hard enough and you fast and you do exactly, you do all those things, God will save your marriage. And I took three weeks off of work. And I, I don't even know how to fast really at that point in my life. I, I just stopped eating. <laughs> I thought that was what fasting was. And I got real hungry and then I got sick and <laughs> then I kind of binged and I ordered three pizzas and I ate them all. And then people said, you got to pray. And I said, for three weeks? Well, yeah, Paul says pray without ceasing. I, I don't think I even know enough words to pray for three weeks. Like, I, I don't even know what to do. And by the end of the time, I was disillusioned. And I was hungry. <laughs> and I just didn't understand what all this stuff. And at the end of it, when my marriage failed, what I felt like was, I've failed God. I've failed my marriage. And I've failed my faith. Because somebody misunderstood who God was and what my job is in prayer. As you can see, there's a lot of emotion in me when it comes to this topic. 
And I think maybe one of the most important jobs I have as a preacher is to set the record straight when it comes to how we talk to God and how we deal with God on a daily basis. And that's what I'm going to do in December this year. We're going to learn to talk to God. We're going to learn what our role is in prayer. We're going to learn what prayer really does and how to do it better, how to make it work. In fact, this sounds crazy, but the kind of prayer we're talking about works 100% of the time. Now, it works because it's not God that's moved during this kind of prayer. It's you that's moved to a different kind of life and a closer life to God. And it works every time if you do it God's way. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to move through that. But here's the thing I know about you. Some of you are in your own little riptide today. Maybe it's a marriage falling apart. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it didn't look like this at the altar <laughs> the day you got married, and you have never dreamed you'd be there, but you just kind of feel yourself being pulled in this direction, and maybe you've prayed, and maybe you've tried, and maybe you've felt like I felt. Where is this even working, and is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe you found yourself in a financial riptide. I don't know what your riptide is today. Maybe you found yourself just brokenness and depression. And if you haven't found yourself in a riptide today, somebody around you is. So what I want to do today is I want to, the, 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 two weeks ago we talked about what happened when Jesus said, here's how you should pray when it comes time to pray. And it was a teaching moment for Jesus, for the disciples. Today, what I want to do is look at a time where Jesus actually prayed. Um, and this is an amazing time. Um, in fact, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible when we get to see the way Jesus actually lived. Not just how he taught, I love those things obviously, but the things that he actually did I think are things I can just kind of copy word for word and do and add to my life. And so here's what happened to Jesus. He found himself in a riptide. And by the way, have you ever heard the phrase, I want to be like Jesus? You know, have you ever heard Christians say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Those? Here's the thing. You're more like Jesus than you think you are. We put Jesus up on, on this pedestal, and he should be, but sometimes we forget that he was just as much human as you and I are today, and he had the same kinds of dealings that we did. He found himself in a riptide. He found himself in this piece of scripture. He is in this riptide where he is just he's moving towards something that he knows is inevitable, and he is going to beg God to get out of it. That's exactly what's going to happen. So here's what he did. At this point, Mark chapter 14, verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And at this point, Jesus had told his disciples, all his friends, he said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to die. And they said, no, we're, no, you're not. And Peter even like took out his sword and like did one of those little moves and said, no, you're not going to die on my watch. You know, a little, a little tough guy moment, you know. And Jesus said, yeah, put it away. Yes, I am. I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to die. And these guys didn't understand it. And he warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them, and they didn't understand it. But here's the thing. Jesus knew it, but the closer he got to it, the more he started to dread it. Just, just like us. And he found himself in a place where he wasn't, and, and I love this piece of scripture, because this isn't teacher Jesus. This isn't miracle worker Jesus. This isn't, this isn't uh, um, an incredible relationship with God Jesus. This is human Jesus. This is you and me kind of Jesus that we're about to see right now. They went to a place called Gethsemane, which was a garden. And his, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So this is not a teaching time. I'm going to go do this thing that i got to do. He took with him Peter, James, and John, sat a little closer to him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Do you ever, you ever hear anybody tell you, I can, I'll never forget when I heard somebody say that depression is a sin. Have you ever heard this? 
that depression and anxiety is sinfulness in you. And I, I just, I, if you're dealing with depression and, and, and anxiety, you need to know it's not what God wants for your life. But look at this. Jesus himself, depressed and stressed. It's not sinful. How you deal with it can be sinful. But the actual emotion that happens to you is not a sinful thing. It happened to Jesus right here. He was distressed and troubled. And then look what he said. Maybe you've said something like this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I feel like I'm going to die of sadness. He said to them, look at this, stay here while I keep watch. You know what I think Jesus was doing there? I think he was scared of his life. He knew he was going to be arrested. He knew people hated him. He knew that people were out to stone him and to kill him. He was in fear of his life. So he says to these three guys, stay here and stay awake because there are people coming to kill me. And, and, and I think Jesus had that kind of a fear at this point in his life. Next slide. And he begins to do what you and I do. He begins to beg his father. He begins to beg God for something. Now, this reminded me when I read through this again, it reminded me of when my son, Reese, went through his four-year-old checkup. You know, they do the well baby checkup thing. Well, the four-year-old, for somehow, somehow, I got in charge of the four-year-old checkup. And I'd done the earlier checkups. They'd pretty much go in, they check some things, check the weight, and measure them, and they Google, oh, you know, kind of giggle, and, and, and then you say, okay, that's it, and go. Well, somehow I got in charge of the four-year well baby checkup, which happened to be four shots <laughs> that, that my little guy would get. I had no idea when I got there, and it was just me and Reese. And we sat there at the doctor's office, and I saw this lady pull out the needles. She did it kind of ceremoniously, like this awful moment. And I saw Reese, four years old, he's old enough to know what's about to happen. And he's old enough to be scared to death. He's also old enough to look at his dad and say, you have the power to stop her. And he did. He looked at me with this look like, I'm not afraid, my daddy's in the room. Ain't nothing going to happen while my daddy's in the room. I've seen him protect me over and over and over again. All I have to do is give him this look, and he takes care of me. So here it is, Dad. He gave me the look, and nothing. And there was no fear in Reese when she pulled out the needle. The fear started when he realized Dad wasn't going to stop it. And Jesus, going a little further, he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if, if it's possible... The hour might pass from him. And here's what he said. Abba, which means daddy. That's what Reese does to me. Daddy. This is how Jesus talked to God in this moment. He fell on his face. Some of you need to fall on your face. Some of you are sitting at your kitchen table and you're doing this. Some of you need to fall on your face. Not for God, not to show him, but for you to realize how deeply you're surrendered to him. Some of you have fell on your face on this stage and I've sat down here with you. He says, Abba, Daddy, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Take this death, this plan, this thing that you've got, take this from me. And then he says, yet not, not as I will, but what you will do right here. I, I think that this is an incredible story, not because of Jesus' faith or because of but because of the change that happens in just a minute. There is a moment in this story that changes 360.
completely changes. It, 180, I think. I don't think you want to go 360, do you? 180 completely changes around. The whole story changes. Jesus keeps going back, and he, he falls on his face, and he prays, and he asks God to please not make him go through this awful thing that he's going to have to go through, and he sees it coming. And he comes back to the disciples, and they're asleep. And he says, can't you guys keep watch? And then he says something about temptation, and it, it's late at night, and everybody's tired. He goes back, and he falls on his face again, and he comes back, and the disciples are asleep again, and they're supposed to be keeping watch. He goes back for a third time, and when he comes back the third time, something is different in Jesus. When he comes back the third time, something changed. And what changed in him caused him to walk on all the way through his crucifixion. Mark chapter 14, verse 41, check this out. Returning the third time, Jesus said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? And then he uses this little word, and in the Greek language, it's like, it's like, enough. And, and we translate it in English, enough, but it's, it's, not, it's not like that exasperated enough. It's like, you know what? I'm ready to move on. I, I, I've, I'm ready, something has changed in me. That's what the word means. Here's what I prayed for you today. I prayed you would feel this word during Christmas this year. Not that your circumstances would change. Now, will God change your circumstances if you pray? Sometimes. But that's not even the most important thing that can happen during your prayer life. What happens that is the most important thing when you pray is that word, enough. I can keep going. And when Jesus said enough, if you look through the Bible, Jesus said enough, he began to walk towards his mess. Jesus, instead of fearing it, instead of running away from it, instead of begging God that it would go away, Jesus began to step towards his mess. Look what he says next. Enough! The hour has come. Now, here's one of the things I love about Jesus. If you've been around here, you know that I love this phrase. Jesus says this in another place. Somebody says, Jesus, don't let them take your life. And Jesus looks at him in this very Bruce Willis kind of Clint Eastwood moment, and he goes, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I give my life. Nobody takes my life. At this moment, Jesus said, God, I don't want to give my life. God, Father, Daddy, I don't want to give my life. I don't want to give my life. I don't want to give my life. And then enough prayer happened, enough times happened that the circumstances didn't change. Nothing changed in Jesus' future. Nothing changed in Jesus' present. The only thing that changed was Jesus. Something inside of him changed, and he walked out and he said, enough. Now I lay down my life. Now the time has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise! Get up! Let us go. Not let us keep running. Let us go towards it. Here comes my betrayer. See, here's the thing. The outcome didn't change for Jesus. And your outcome might not either. It's not a good preacher, is it? <laughs> Typically not a good American preacher. To have you guys come in here to put your money in the offering plate, to, to come into a nice church with some nice things going on and some things we're trying to get better all the time around here, to have you come in, sit in a pew and say to you, yeah, if you become a Christian and you pray a lot, your things might not change. You don't hear that very often, but I believe it's true that your circumstances may not change even if you pray the way Jesus prayed. But here's the thing. You can. You can change. And that enough moment in you is what prayer is all about. 
Check this out. This is one of my favorite quotes. If you didn't hear anything else I heard today, write this down and go to Google and copy and paste it and put it somewhere. C.S. Lewis, is um, he's a real deep thinker. If you haven't read him, he, you either love him or you don't get him. Um, and I, he, he happens to be a, a, a figure that changed my life and my faith. Um, there's a book called Shadow, or a, a movie called Shadowlands. If you don't like to read, watch the movie. Um, amazing, amazing story about his life. So quickly, C.S. Lewis met a woman that they were platonic friends for a while, and then he began to fall in love with her when she contracted cancer. She got, she got really, really sick, and he began to fall in love with her. And the whole movie the story, is a story of him and this, his would-be wife um, and her cancer and, and his faith and all of that together. It's an amazing story. It's really funny at times and um, really heartwarming. And in the midst of all this, a completely true story, in the midst of all this, C.S. Lewis says something that I resonate with so much. And rather to come in here today and, and, and sell you a line and tell you what you can go, you can go find this on the internet. I promise you. I can tell you the website. You can go find a preacher that will tell you if you have enough faith, you'll get your way with God. But I can tell you it's not in the Bible. And you'll be brokenhearted. But here's what I believe is absolutely true about prayer. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help it. I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. And look at this, my favorite line in the whole movie. It doesn't change God when I pray. It changes me. But see, that's not how we grow up praying, is it? That's not how we grow up praying. We grow up praying to change God. But here's the thing, we already know. God, God does His thing. God is who He is. Now, that doesn't mean that your prayers don't move sometimes. That, that, prayers, that, that your prayers aren't really important and that you shouldn't be praying for what you need and what you want in your life. But in the end, your prayer time is about changing your perspective. Because here's the truth today. God is more interested in what is inside of you than what is around you. I've been trying to get this in my own mind when I come to church on Sundays. Because here's what happens to me. This is like confession of a preacher right here. I come into church and I want to fix your problems so badly. The more I love you and the more I do life with you, the more I want to fix your problems. And sometimes I feel like you're looking to me to fix your problems. I'll go back to that room and I'll say something up here and it'll move you and we'll go back and pray in that room and, and it's like, what can, and I'll even pray, God, how can I fix this? How, what can I fix? And, and what I'm realizing is that sometimes God doesn't want it to be fixed. Sometimes, and I know that's hard to hear, but sometimes it's you that needs to be fixed. Because He is more concerned with what's inside of you than what's outside and around you. So what I've been trying to do is when I go back there to pray, not pray about just your circumstances. Yeah, we're going to pray that God will change these things, but let's not end there. And if you've prayed with me back there, you know I've been trying this because you've heard me pray it. God, even if, even if we don't get our way, even if our circumstances don't change, would you change us? Would you give us that enough moment to have the strength to keep going? What if, and I believe this to be true, what if God's greatest work in you happens when you pray? And what you do when you pray is that you go and you just ask Him for things, and you walk away. But what He really wants to do is make significant changes in you at those moments. I believe that what prayer really does most 
Is it trade struggle for strength? And that's what God wants for you. So here's, you know how I do around here. I want this to be as practical as possible. I'm almost done. Maybe your prayer today looks like this. I don't know what you're struggling with, but maybe your prayer looks like this. If you start by this, God, I, I know you can do everything. This is the picture of Reese sitting in the doctor's office. Dad, I know you can stop her. <laughs> if you wanted to, you could, you could take all those needles from her and this would be gone. And that's the way you start with God. God, all things are You could take that cancer, God, right now. I believe that you could do it. All things are possible. And if there's another way, would you please find another way? <laughs> if there is another way to deal with the circumstances in my life, if there's another way for this to, these outcomes to, to be different, can you, would you make them that way and lead me to be whatever it would be to help in those outcomes? But, if there is no other way, then have your way. If, if we can start to pray this way, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to have financial problems this week. Some of you. Some of you are going to have relationship problems. And the closer we get to Christmas, the worse it gets. <laughs> Family starts coming in, you're going to have relationship problems. And what you're going to be tempted to pray when your money hits the fan this week, month is, God, give me more money. I know it, and I do it too, and you should pray that. God, I need more money. I need, more, I need a way to pay my electric bill. I need a way to do this. But if you can, I'm telling you, don't ignore this. If you can actually get to a point where you can say this, God, I want, I want to be different on the inside. I want to change. I want to be closer. I want more peace in this moment, even in the midst of my financial struggles. Please change my circumstances. But if you don't, have your way and not mine. It's, it's called surrender. Maybe you've heard it at church, and if you're a church person and you've heard the word surrender, you've probably turned it off. Because we sing it, I surrender all, I surrender all. That's the danger with these songs that we sing. To be honest with you, I get really nervous about the songs that we sing. Because they're so packed with meaning, and we come in and we sing them over and over and over and over and over again to the point where they just mean nothing. And we, some of us, come into this room and we sing, I surrender all, and we've surrendered nothing. And if you do it enough, you just become desensitized to it. And then we just have all these churchy words that don't mean anything to our culture. I'm going to ask you today to reclaim the word surrender. And don't use it today. Unless you mean, here's what surrender is. It's saying, God, here's what I want. This is what I want. But I give it up. I will surrender it. I will completely get it out of my brain and out of my heart if it's not what you want. So would you get what you want at all costs? Now, men don't like the word surrender because it sounds passive. <laughs> but it's the most active thing you can do. It's the most aggressive thing you can do for your family right now if you're struggling with finances. The most aggressive thing you can do is surrender to the only one who has any control over any of it in the long run. The most aggressive thing you can do to save your marriage right now is to surrender to the Almighty. To say, God, I'll take whatever you got. I, I will give up all of my plans and take yours. Just lead me there. Surrender is, is what leads to peace. So, band, you guys can come up. I want to remind you of this before we leave. Here's what God knows. Oops. 
somebody doesn't want me to say it. Just like when my son asked me for a shotgun this week. God knows that it is better for you to get his will than to get your way. In the long run, God knows that every time you're better, every time you're better, when you get his will, his will instead of your way. So, would you please do this to me? Do this this week for me. Just please. If you're dealing with this prayer thing and you've never prayed like this today, just every day, five minutes a day, start your day like this. God, I'm not coming to you asking. You know what I need. What I'm coming to, to say is that you're bigger than everything else in my life. I want to surrender everything I've got today so I can understand what you want for my life. And God, would you lead me on the inside where I need to go, no matter what is going on on the outside. You know the, the phrase that we use to describe that kind of a talk with God is a relationship with God. I'll tell you, it's one of the most confusing things to people outside the church. When preachers or Christians stand up and say, well, what you need is a relationship with Jesus. You need a relationship with God. You know what's funny? Most people who say that don't have a clue what it means. What they mean by that is that they get up and for 20 minutes in the morning they have a prayer list that they check off and it's a to-do list for God. God, here's what you need to do today. And I'm going to ask you for all these things. And God, here's your to-do list for today. That's what they consider to be a relationship with God. But you know what God considers to be a relationship with God? Surrender. Every day. And it, some days it takes five minutes. That's all it takes. It's going to be an easy day. God, I, no brainer today. You can have everything I got today. And then some days, when mom's in the hospital, some days when the electricity shut off, some days it takes longer to say, God, whatever it is you've got, whatever it is you have is what I want today. If you can start to do that this week, what I'm hoping is that Christmas looks different for you. That your relationships get more perspective. That your money starts to kind of become a secondary part of your life. Can you imagine that? And that you begin to look for God's will instead of your way. Because here's the thing. He's 100% committed to that. The truth is, my son is so cute. I'm a little biased, but man. He's so cute that there's some times when it's not as easy as a shotgun. I mean, that, he, it doesn't matter how cute he is. He's not getting a shotgun right now. But there's some things that I'm just like, all right, he's so cute and he wants it so bad. And Risha and I look at each other and we're like, what do you think? Can he stay up till 10 tonight on a school night? And okay. But God, he's committed 100% to what's best for you. Not what you want, but what's best for you. So would you surrender to that now. Some of you are caught in a riptide as we speak. I'm going to give you a chance today to swim parallel to the bank by saying, God, I, 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 I want to go where you want me to go. I, no matter what happens in this mess, no matter where I end up with my current circumstances, I choose to be different on the inside. And I can face whatever it is. Some of you are going to walk away from here today and you've got I know this so well and you won't admit it but I, I'm ready to admit it that you've got messages on your cell phone and on your message machine at home if you still have one of those that says that you owe money to people all over the country some of you have been dodging phone calls from creditors you know what the phone numbers are I know it because I've done it 
you know what? What if you could walk away from here and say, enough. Enough with the kind of life that is scared, like Jesus did. Enough from running away from this. I'm running towards it. I'm going to start making phone calls to these 1-800 numbers. I'm going to start running towards my mess. Can you imagine the peace would come? When you start doing things in the midst of God's will, not trying to bend him to yours. It's going to be a good Christmas around here. It's going to be perspective in this place. When you sing joy to the world, it's going to mean something this Christmas. Would you be dedicated to that? Would you stand with us and sing?